And Rhino, he's not even an issue. I don't sweat Rhino. Are you ready? Yes, it's the Rhino. I just want the paper. I done came down so clean. I'm shining on the haters. Ain't none better than me. Paint wetter than he knows. 400 And out come Rhino. Rhino. I just want the paper. I done came down so clean. I'm shining on the haters. Ain't none better than me. Paint wetter than he knows. 400 I just want the paper. I done came down so clean. I'm shining on the hater. Ain't none better than me. Paint wetter than he knows. 400 degrees. Rhino! It's Rhino! It's Rhino! Hell, it's Rhino! The veteran Rhino came in. Rhino Wrestling Review back once again. I'm your host, Dan Rhino, brought to you by our friends at ProWrestling.com. And we got a lot to get to today. It's been a while since we've seen you last. I was a little under the weather, battling another uh, potential hospital stay as I deal with uh, some ongoing issues. But I'm back in the saddle once again and coming off a big weekend up in Chicago for AEW, and uh, that being the big pay-per-view Revolution that was at the Trust Arena in downtown Chicago. Going to talk about that. Also going to talk about what happened in Saudi Arabia for WWE Super Showdown. Going to talk about a pretty entertaining Raw this past week, all things considered. I know the bar for Raw is pretty low these days, but it was a pretty entertaining Raw overall. At least uh, one spot in the middle and then beginning and ending. And let's be honest, that's about all you can ask nowadays. And did you know that WWE had a pay-per-view coming up this weekend? I had totally forgotten about it. Didn't even know too much going on in the world of pro wrestling. But Elimination Chamber is coming up this weekend. So we're going to talk a little bit about that too. And even talk about the WrestleMania card as it stands right now. What needs to be added to make this a great card? Is it better or worse than last year's WrestleMania? We're going to talk about all that here in the first segment. In the second segment, we will get to your emails, which you can always send at rhinowrestlingreview at gmail.com or on Twitter, we are at rhino underscore wrestling. But let's talk about this weekend in Chicago. I went up there with my lovely wife for C2E2, the comic and entertainment expo that they have every year in Chicago. And it's a huge event, the biggest show that we've ever been to. And AEW had a huge presence at the show here. AEW had a table right up front, right as you walked into the convention hall. AEW had uh, panels going on, had a big panel with Cody and the Bucks, had photo ops and autograph opportunities all weekend, and every one of the AEW wrestlers that were there had big lines, particularly John Moxley on Sunday and freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy on Friday, who I got a chance to meet. Pro Wrestling Tees was there as well with CM Punk appearances. But AEW, man, they were big. I mean, they were all over the, the convention program. They were uh, giving away backpacks with AEW, like just thousands and thousands of, of AEW backpacks uh, to people that were coming into the, the show. They really went, pardon the pun, 
all out in the promotion of AEW at C2E2's event. And to have it at the Wintrust Arena, which is right next door to the convention center, the big event on Saturday night, was just brilliant marketing in, in my point of view. So the C2E2 show, a lot of fun. The uh, Young Bucks uh, also were there in conjunction with Anderson's books, launching uh, pre-orders for their upcoming Killing the Business book. So got to meet the Young Bucks as well. And then we got to Saturday night, big AEW pay-per-view revolution. The first pay-per-view of the new decade for AEW, and they did not disappoint. It was, without question, the best live show I've ever been to. And I went to WrestleMania last year. I've been to uh, NXT War Games. I've been to live shows during the Attitude Era. I've been to stadium shows when WWE was touring in the 90s here in St. Louis. This was by far the best show I had ever been to, live wrestling show, and my very first AEW show. So I'm going to kind of go through the card, going to talk about some of the things that really stood out for me. There was very few lowlights on this show. It was mostly highlights, and some of them were supreme highlights, including a tag match that a lot of people are saying is the best tag match they've ever seen. There was a lot of stars made, or even made further, on Saturday night, and I'm really excited to get the chance to talk about it with you guys. We started off, we had the Dark Order taking on SCU as part of the buy-in. Just an okay match. We had SCU asking Christopher Daniels to stay in the back, kind of adding to the rumors that Christopher Daniels could be the Dark Order, Dark Order's leader, the Exalted One. Dark Order gets the victory in an okay match, but then we had the Creepers, the Masts, whatever they are, come out and uh, team up on SCU. Uh, Colt Cabana, local Chicago favorite, and also apparently the newly AEW signed Colt Cabana came out and made his uh, AEW in-ring, I guess unofficial in-ring debut. I know he had done some commentary on Dark for AEW, but Colt Cabana apparently on board with AEW now, comes out to make the save before the Dark Order takes control again, and then we had a hooded figure come out that we thought could have popped uh, potentially been the exalted one, but it was Christopher Daniels who came out to save his SCU brethren. It was an okay match. Uh, the aftermatch stuff was probably better than than the actual match. But we got into the main card here. We got the first chance to look at Jake Hager in a long time in a pro wrestling capacity, and the first time that we got to see him wrestling in an AEW ring, taking on Dustin Rhodes. So a couple of former WWE guys kicking off the show, kind of an interesting dynamic there. But man, I thought Hager looked really good. I think some of the reviews I'm seeing online kind of graded this match a little lower than I did. But I thought that Dustin is apparently the ageless one. He's wrestling better now than he was wrestling 10, 15 years ago. And Jake Hager looked really good. I loved the the intro that they did for Hager with showing all of the Bellator highlights as part of the intro package, kind of adding to the legitimacy of Jake Hager as a badass. The only thing I really wasn't feeling in this match was the addition of Jake Hager's real-life wife at ringside who was making out with Jake Hager, and then we had a... Gold Dust throwback moment where Dustin Rhodes came and put a big uh, 
face-painted kiss on Mrs. Hager. But I think Jake Hager is pretty compelling. Jake Hager gets the victory by submission, and that standing arm tri triangle choke, which is a very legitimate MMA move that will put your ass to sleep if you do not tap out. I think Jake Hager looked was a very had a very intriguing performance. I'd like to see more of him in, in ring capacity, and we did, did get to see a little bit more of him on Dynamite this week. Good selling by Hager. You know Dustin's always going to do a, a very uh, excellent job. He's one of the all-time best in-ring technicians, all the way back to when he was uh, the natural Dustin Rhodes back in the old WCW days. But a lot of high-impact stuff by Hager. A lot of a lot of different offense that we saw from when he was in WCW or WWE rather as Jack Swagger is that he's incorporating a lot of his MMA techniques into his pro wrestling techniques and it's meshing pretty well in my opinion. I I liked what I saw from Hager on Saturday. I liked from what I saw from Hager on Wednesday and we'll see how this goes. I would like to see him do do some tag stuff maybe with Sammy Guevara if Chris Jericho is going to be out touring around. I'd like to see him do some tagging up with Chris Jericho whenever he's around. I would like to see him you know maybe do some six-man stuff with Santana and Ortiz and I'd like to see him continue to put guys to sleep in singles competition as well. So I thought the right guy won here. You know, the story here goes all the way back to Jake Hager being uh, part of the inner circle and breaking Dustin's arm. And this would be the first time that we got Jake Hager in the ring. And he puts Dustin to sleep after a low blow and a standing arm triangle. So I thought it was better than a lot of the reviews that I'm seeing online. The next match, you cannot argue, was an awesome outing by both guys. Two guys that I could easily see not only wearing mid-card belts in the future when AEW creates one, but I could see these guys as future world champions in AEW as well. And that was Sammy Guevara taking on Darby Allin. Of course, the storyline behind this one is Sammy Guevara injuring the throat of Darby Allin with that skateboard. And, man, how over is Darby Allen as a babyface? And for that matter, how over is Sammy Guevara as a heel? But these two were just all over the place. It was high energy, high impact. There was so much that happened even before the bell rang. And there was a, a very scary moment when Darby Allen went for a suicide dive where Sammy Guevara was draped over the ringside guardrail and Darby Allen's feet hit the ropes on the way out and... We almost had a really, really scary moment there, but it looks like the indestructible Darby was able to bounce back pretty well, and they, these guys just put on a hell of a match. I think the right guy won with Darby Allen getting the pinfall with the coffin drop over Sammy Guevara. I think we needed, we couldn't start off the show with two heel victories, both from the inner circle. I thought it was important for one of the two very similar stories as we had with Hager and, and Dustin and Darby and Guevara where the inner circle, mem specific members of the inner circle injured and put them out. One of them needed to come back and get retribution. And I don't think this, the, the, I don't think the loss hurts Dustin at all. I don't think the loss hurts Sammy Guevara at all. And Darby Allen, it just catapults him even higher. And this guy, you know, a guy who I used to just think of as 
just a hardcore wrestler because of the crazy stuff that I saw him do on the indies and then the stuff that I, you know, the bar wrestling stuff that I would see him and Priscilla Kelly, Priscilla Kelly doing. This, he's growing, man. He's growing very quickly. He's maturing as a performer and as a storyteller very quickly. Darby Allen, man, just uh, sky's the limit for this guy. Early match of the year candidate up next, AEW Tag Team Championship, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page defending against the Young Bucks. I love the storytelling leading up to this match. I love the storytelling throughout this match, and I love the storytelling that is coming out of this match and that got carried into Dynamite this week. Kind of leading in, into this, we've had Hangman Page as the part of the foursome of the elite that's taking part in this match, the one not wanting to be associated with the elite anymore and kind of wanting to do his own thing. And at some at times that has caused some friction between him and his tag team champ partner Kenny Omega, but it has really caused drama between Hangman and the Young Bucks. And it looked like we had kind of Kenny Omega playing the voice of reason on his side of the match and we had Nick Jackson playing the voice of reason on his side of the match but as hangman page got increasingly more aggressive with matt and then vis-a-vis -vis nick as well we saw the the young bucks kind of you know give it right back to him and take an aggressive stance with hangman and then that aggression kind of spilled over to kenny omega to the point where the bucks were not in a wrestling match with with Kenny Omega anymore either. They were in a fight with him as well. But there were so many spots in this match that I know that when you're in a Young Bucks match and when you're in a match with Omega and Hangman, but particularly the Bucks, it's going to be a lot of spots. And a lot of it's going to be very choreographed, which a lot of people hate. Me, I'm hot and cold on it, and a lot of people love but they proved that they can mix that hyper-athleticism with great storytelling in this match. This match, it was so engaging. I don't know how you could not have been on the edge of your seat for the entirety of this match. If you were playing around on your phone during this match, shame on you because you missed maybe the best tag match that, that I've ever seen. Definitely the best tag match I've ever seen live. Maybe the best tag match I've ever seen live or on pay-per-view. We had the Bucks hitting Paige with the Indy Taker on the entrance ramp. Then we had the Bucks going to work on Kenny Omega. They even hit the golden trigger on Kenny Omega. A call back to Kenny's days teaming up with Kota Ibushi in Japan. And the super aggressive Matt Jackson continued and he started to take out these aggressions on, on Omega. Nick kind of stepped in to kind of calm him down again and then by the time Nick got him calmed down Adam Page was back in the match so Hangman was gone for a little while I kind of thought that he was in the land of wind and ghosts after that indie taker on the ramp but Hangman to his credit got back into this match Omega and Hangman hit that buckshot v-trigger combination still couldn't get the fall the injured shoulder of Kenny Omega that the Bucks had been working on did not allow Kenny Omega to hit the one wing and one wing and angel so Adam Page hits the one wing and angel Page also hit buckshot lariats on both the Bucks. Hangman and Kenny Omega get the pin. They retain the titles. Just an amazing, amazing 
exhibition of pro wrestling and not just Cirque du Soleil hyper-athletic moves. I'm talking about the tension between these guys, how they told the story from beginning to end, how we get to the very end, and even after they've been through this war, the Bucks are still wanting to, to reach out to Omega and Hangman and, and shake their hands. And Hangman, we know, is not having any of it. But now Kenny's not having any of it either because of how aggressive the Young Bucks were in that match. So there's even some, some trouble there coming out of Revolution in that not only is Paige seeming to want to distance himself from the Bucks and the Elite, but maybe we get Kenny Omega on the same page as well. And it was, it was surprising in how it turned out too because you just knew, or we thought we knew, that Hangman and Omega, who've been teasing trouble, but they always still get the win, Hangman's going to turn on Omega, and that's going to go into a program between the two. And maybe that's still going to happen. But the fact that they retain and the fact that they fought through adversity to work together and neither one turned on the other, I think some of the people I was talking to before the the show, wouldn't it be cool if we kind of got swerved and Kenny Omega was the one who turned on Hangman? Or maybe all, all three of the elite members, Omega and the Bucks, all turned on Hangman, and Hangman kind of gets catapulted into a, a big-time babyface role in a sympathetic way. But the fact that we didn't get any of that is even more surprising and even more of a shock and even more intriguing for storytelling purposes coming out of the pay-per-view and going into future Dynamites and the next pay-per-views coming up. Just an amazing, amazing job by everyone involved in this match. I can't say enough good things about this match. If you have not seen this match, shame on you. Go watch it. It's going to blow your mind. Nearly perfect pro wrestling match and a nearly perfect tag team match. It took us quite a while to get our heart rate and our blood pressure down after that match. So of course they put in the AEW Women's Championship after that, which was definitely the worst match on the card. Nyla Rose defending her newly won crown against Chris Statlander. I am a big Chris Statlander fan. I, the gimmick is strange, but I think she does some things in the ring that I really like. I also like Nyla Rose as champion. I like having the monster heel as the champion and the baby faces chasing. But this was just not a good match, guys. This is one that is easily easily skippable if you go back and watch the card. This is one that was put in that spot for a reason on the card following that tag match. These two ladies just... There were some scary spots in this match. They just... They were seemingly not on the same page. There was just not a lot of chemistry there. There was a superplex attempt that Statlander did that almost ended in disaster. And disaster was kind of the theme in this match. And Nyla Rose gets the uh, victory to retain the AEW title when she gets the beast bomb off the top rope. But there's really not much to say about this one. Uh, I don't know what's co what's going to be who's going to be the next big challenger for Nyla Rose. But these two just have no chemistry with one another. I think Chris Statlander is somebody who 
can be an asset to the company, an asset to the women's division, but not against Nyla Rose. I just, I just think it just doesn't work. And if this match was gonna, if somebody had to follow that tag match, it's probably a good thing it was this match because even if the crowd was into it, it wasn't gonna be very good anyway. A match that was very good took place after that as we took, got taken on another emotional roller coaster with Cody finally getting MJF in the ring. MJF kind of, a lot of people think that he could potentially be the best heel on the in the business. That's hard for me to say because some of the stuff he does is a little low-hanging fruit. And some of the act actions of MJF are, are a little tough to swallow sometimes. But MJF carried his weight in this match, man, with Cody, one, one of the best in-ring workers on the planet. A lot of good storytelling in this match as well. We had both guys uh, getting a little bit of color. MJF, in his case, getting a lot of color, which I think added quite a bit to the emotion in the match. We had Brandy getting involved. We had some spots with Brandy and Wardlow. We had Cody accidentally taking out Arn Anderson. And it was, it was a huge amount of drama. And I thought it was built very well. And this storyline going all the way back to MJF being Cody's protege and being his best friend and then throwing in the towel and costing Cody his only opportunity at the AEW title against Chris Jericho and then low-blowing Cody after that match and officially turning on Cody like we all expected he was going to do sooner rather than later. Then refusing to fight Cody unless Cody went through a series of trials including the 10 Lashes segment on AEW Dynamite, including the cage match against Wardlow, all to finally get MJF in the ring in the Wintrust Arena at Revolution. And there was even the moment where MJF was holding on to Cody's boot and begging Cody to forgive him, and it looks like he had tears in his eyes with blood gut rushing down his, his head. It looked like he was going to hug Cody and ask Co Cody for his forgiveness for all the bad things that he's done over the last couple of months and then MJF spits right in the face of Cody. Cody hits a couple of crossroads. We thought we were going to get another one. We thought this was going to be Cody finally getting his retribution. These two could put the feud to a close and then move on to other things. But that is not what happened. We had MJF using that dynamite ring once again and knocking Cody out, and MJF, through everything, gets the one, two, three for the victory, a distraught Cody in the ring after the match. And I'm not sure how I felt about this one. I kind of felt that if we're going to make Cody go through all this hell, he would finally come out the conquering hero on the other end. But my buddy Dougie Wrestling from ProWrestling.com, the STF Underground podcast, available on ProWrestling.com and wherever you listen to your podcast, who was at the show with me on Saturday, kind of explained it in a way that I can accept. If Cody wins, then he's already then he solidifies his spot as the most over babyface in the company. If Cody loses, he's still the most over babyface in the company. If MJF wins, however, and he comes out of this feud on top, now you've catapulted MJF into another stratosphere, and you've catapulted MJF into that world title picture, especially with a heavy like Wardlow by his side. 
So I, I'll accept it. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily like it. I think that we needed that feel-good moment from Cody finally overcoming the evil of MJF and going through all these trials and tribulations to get to MJF, to get the one, two, three. However, I don't think it hurts Cody. It was just more of a personal thing with me because I was so emotionally invested into the story and into the characters and into everything that went into the plot and getting to Revolution on Saturday night. But it already looks like these two are moving on to other things. Cody got a visit from Jake the Snake Roberts on Wednesday night. Jake cut a pretty sick promo about how Jake is going to be apparently managing or cornering somebody new that we're bringing into the company. A lot of speculation that it could potentially be the former Luke Harper, a.k.a. Brody Lee, who is somebody whose name has come up in the discussion for the Exalted One of the Dark Order, which I'm not sure how I feel about that. But Jake's apparently bringing in somebody who is uh, going to begin feuding with Cody. And Jake has, has proven that over the years to be one of the best mic men in the business, one of the best at ring psychology, and one of the best at psychology in general. Just connecting with fans and connecting with fans as both a babyface and a heel. And if Jake is clean, man, then I'm all for it. Bring him in. Let's see what he can do. I think he could be a great mouthpiece, and I think he could be a great manager for a big-time heel, especially going up against Cody. As far as MJF is concerned, he cut a promo on Wednesday night, kind of teasing that he is setting his sights on the AEW World Heavyweight Championship, and that it'll be sooner rather than later that he gets his hands on that. Awesomely entertaining match up next. Probably my, not the best match on the card, but probably my favorite to watch on the card, and that was pack taking on orange cassidy the first time i had i guess it was the first time we got to see orange cassidy in a singles capacity in aew and you cannot deny that orange cassidy is one of the most over characters in all of pro wrestling whether you like him or not i know our buddy dougie wrestling is not a big fan of I guess the the character or the in-ring work, uh, however he wanted uh, to word it, I think Doug feels like the Orange Cassidy shtick could wear a bit thin if it's overexposed. And I think AEW's been doing a pretty good job of giving you small dosage of vitamin C, for lack of a better term, when it comes to Orange Cassidy. The, this match felt like a big-time match. What I went in thinking was kind of going to be a little bit of a joke match, and maybe Orange Cassidy would get some offense in, but Pac would just crush him, you know, being the killer that he is. And Orange Cassidy showed that he can do a lot of things in the ring. He's a super athletic guy. You could already tell that by, you know, what he does, the amount of athletic of things that he can do with just his hands, with his hands in his pockets, things that most people can't do their hands out of their pockets but first of all credit to Pac because he kind of showed me something here on Saturday night that surprised me I've kind of over the last couple of years kind of gotten this bad idea of Pac in my head because of 
how he left WWE basically just quitting and walking out when he still had time left on his contract to when he was supposed to come into AEW and did not come into AEW or wasn't featured on one of the cards because he didn't want to do a job. It kind of made me get this bad taste in my mouth about Pac, which sucks because he's such a good performer and he's such a good character. But I got to give a shout out to, to Pac because he was selling for Orange Cassidy. He was engaging in Orange, Cass Orange Cassidy's shenanigans. He, at one time, I think he even broke a little bit and Orange Cassidy smiled at him and it was like a Jimmy Fallon when he was on Saturday Night Live and couldn't get through a sketch without laughing. Pac looked like he was having fun out there. And that's good to see because he always seems like just such a surly bastard. No pun intended. But I love that this match got to show a little bit more of what we, what we can get out of Orange Cassidy. Not just the high spots of him doing things with his hands in his pockets, but some of the other crazy athletic moves that we can get out of him. And some of the storytelling elements. Some of them comedic, some of them not. But that's okay to have a, have a mix of that. He knows what he is, and he does it well. And it also gave the win to the right guy. There were some times where I thought they were going to give the win to Orange Cassidy. And trust me, the, that crowd would have lost their shit if that would have happened in a positive way. But Pac is the guy that, that simply needed to win. He's the more dangerous fighter. He forced Orange Cassidy to tap and then uh, wouldn't let go of the hold at the, at the very end. Just adding to Pac's heelish veneer. But the, it was, this was really entertaining. It was really, really good. It was a lot better than I expected it was going to be. And even had my wife talking about how entertaining Orange Cassidy was. And we saw the same thing with Pac and Chuck Taylor this past week on Dynamite. Another really good match. So Pac doing a really good job of, of getting himself over, but also making his opponents look good in the ring. It's. I'm hoping that he's he's kind of turning the corner and becoming a little bit more of a team player other than as opposed to what we had kind of seen from his exit in WWE and then his entrance into AEW at the be beginning of the, uh, in the company's infancy. And it looks like we're going to get Pac teaming up with the Lucha Bros next week, which is an interesting pairing. But we're going to see them in six-man tag team action, so that could be another avenue for Pac to explore going forward. But main event time, AEW Championship, Le Champion, Chris Jericho, defending against John Moxley, another couple of former WWE stalwarts. I wasn't sure what to ex expect out of this one. You know, Chris Jericho is not like the majority of the AEW roster. He's not he's not going to give you the the flips and dives and dips. Chris Jericho is a pro wrestler and brings a big fight feel to every match that he's in. He's that big of a star. And while this was not the best main event or even the best title match that AEW's had in its short run as a company, this had a very, felt like a very big moment. And even though Moxley, after getting the victory with the paradigm shift, becomes only the second champion in AEW's history. It felt like a big moment. It felt like we were watching a historic moment. It felt like we were watching something that AEW is going to replay 
over the years and years, even when this company gets 10, 20 years down the line, they're still going to go back to this match between Moxley and Jericho at Revolution just because of the the great run that Jericho did as the inaugural champion for AEW and the fact that Moxley is the pro wrestler's pro wrestler and that is what AEW is trying to position themselves at. And you saw that in Moxley's promo on Dynamite this past week. He looked right in the camera and he said pro wrestling and that's what AEW is all about. That's what AEW is trying to cut out their little uh, slice of the pro of the uh, pie in the world of professional wrestling. WWE has the majority of that pie, but they don't embrace the pro wrestling aspect of it. They don't embrace the second W in WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment. And the fact that Jericho used every trick in the heel playbook, interference from Santana, interference from Ortiz, interference from Jake Hager, who saved Jericho mid-match, even after all those wrestlers get sent back to the back we had Sammy Guevara coming out and hitting John Moxley with the belt and then the big reveal the fact that John Moxley takes his eye patch off and he can see just fine out of that eye that Jericho put the spike through several weeks ago very good storytelling very good long-term slow burn sto storytelling between these two before they finally got into the ring with one another in a one-on-one -on -one capacity and John Moxley is your new AEW champion. Very, got to be very happy for this guy. A guy who was miserable in WWE. A guy who couldn't wait to get out. A guy who figured that he was just going to do some stuff in Japan. He was going to maybe do some stuff in Ring of Honor. Maybe he'd do some stuff in Impact. And all of a sudden the AEW opportunity comes along. He's probably a little bit leery about signing on the dotted line and committing to another company, particularly another big company, and not kind of being the master of his own destiny, but he has really embraced this company, the fans have embraced him, and we get John Moxley as the new champion, and I think it was about time, Jericho had an excellent run, looks like he's going on tour with Fozzie very soon, Jericho is going to be back, Jericho's still got some something left in the tank, we've still got a lot of stories to tell with the inner circle. And this is not going to be the last time you see Jericho main eventing an AEW pay-per-view. But it was Moxley's night, winning the title, overcoming interference from all the members of the inner circle, ending Jericho's run as Le Champion. As compelling as it was, I thought it was a good move. If and Moxley at this point is still undefeated in AEW. He's got the one draw, but still undefeated in AEW. And that's a story that they can tell as well. So that was my experience with AEW Revolution this past weekend in Chicago. Like I said, if you have not seen it, order it on the BR Live app, or if you're one of our overseas listeners, order it on the Fight app. You guys are not going to be disappointed. Even if you know the outcomes, you have got to watch this show if you are a fan of pro wrestling. I cannot say enough about it. A show that I wish I had more positive things to say about is the WWE Super Showdown show took place from Saudi Arabia last week. Man, looking back on this show, you guys know how I feel about the Saudi Arabia shows. I've made it very clear that I'm not a fan of them. I think they are, they're obviously just a money grab and not even getting into, into the political 
feelings, my political feelings about going to Saudi Arabia and doing business with some of the members of the royal family running the show over there, crimes against humanity notwithstanding. It is, these shows are shoehorned in for a crowd that just wants to see old wrestlers. We are shoehorning these sho- these shows in when we've got a pay-per-view coming up this weekend. We've got the biggest pay-per-view of the, of the year coming up in just about four weeks. But we've got to get this Saudi show in there, and we've got to get old stars, people you know, in their mid-50s over there. And we got to do it because we got to keep these people happy that are giving us all this money because that's what the, the bottom line is all about. And I get it. It's a business, especially a publicly traded company. If you've got stockholders and you've got a board of directors to answer to, you can't turn, turn, turn down that money, I guess. But this is just a terrible card. I mean, if you look at, you know, I'm the most anti-Meltzer guy that I know. But if you look at the Meltzer ratings, man, I couldn't agree more. The average star rating for the matches on this show was less than a star. That was the average. And even if you take the gauntlet match as not a bunch of individual matches, even if you just take the best part of that gauntlet match, which was probably either R-Truth against Bobby Lashley or R-Truth against Andrade, even if you just judge it by the best part of that match, and erase the rest of it, then this card averaged to uh, like 1.8 stars or something like that. That's horrible. That's a horrible pro wrestling card. I mean, some of the stuff on here was just, I mean, really unwatchable. I mean, Bailey with a very boring title defense against Naomi. Just not over at all. Nothing really happening. Just like there's been nothing that really happened with the Bailey title defense as a whole. Roman Reigns, for the love of God, hopefully ending his feud with Baron Corbin. There's just, they've wrestled so many times. I can't remember any of them being like super good. I don't really remember any of them being super bad, but they're just fine at best. But there was just a lot, of, a lot of nonsensical stuff in here, like Roman Reigns bringing out the steel chain to keep the door shut so Corbin couldn't escape. But then 30 seconds later, Roman Reigns is trying to climb out over the top of the cage. If you want to keep this guy in here, why are you trying to escape? It, it's, it makes no sense. Nothing in the, in the Saudi Arabia shows are ever good. None of it ever makes sense. But the ending comes with a steel chain wrapped Superman punch. Hopefully this match never happens again. Hopefully I don't have to see these two fight each other for a very, 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 very long time, if ever. Uh, Brock Lesnar squashing Ricochet. What's the point? What was the point of building Ricochet up to be a a challenger for Brock Lesnar? What was the point of telling the story about... Ricochet standing up to Brock, and Brock low-blowing him, and Ricochet low-blowing Brock in the Royal Rumble, which led to Drew McIntyre kicking Brock Lesnar out of the Royal Rumble. What was the point in having Ricochet win this opportunity to face Brock Lesnar if you're just going to squash him? Ricochet got in nothing. Even after all the announcers talking about how Brock Lesnar struggles with smaller competitors, Brock Lesnar has a hard time with faster 
competitors. Brock Lesnar hit, takes Ricochet to Suplex City, hits the F5, retains the title. What is the point? And of course, we got to put Mansoor on the card. And I tell you what, as soon as I looked in the ring and I saw Bobby Roode with a freaking t-shirt on, giving the business to Mansoor before this match, I'm, I'm just like, why am I even watching this? Do I even like pro wrestling? I don't know if I do. Why's Bobby Roode in there razzing Mansoor? And why is Mansoor being put over as like Bruno San Martino in, in the garden in the 60s and 70s or something like that? I don't get it. And you got the announcers just they're trying to convince you of things throughout the card, but they're so disingenuous with, with how they say it. You've got Corey Graves talking about, I can't wait to see Mansoor wrestle all over the world. That's not true, Corey Graves. This, I mean, it's just, it's just crap. Mansoor gets the win, of course, because he's un, unbeatable in Saudi Arabia. The gauntlet match was not good. It was, it was pretty tough to watch. R-Truth, to his credit, super entertaining. He was probably the uh, MVP of this match. R-Truth goes through Bobby Lashley. He goes through Andrade. He goes through Eric Rowan, who was there for some reason. And the crowd was into him. To R-Truth's credit, still performing at a high level, still very entertaining. But as soon as AJ Styles came out and took it to R-Truth, that crowd switched quickly. They turned off of R-Truth real quick and got on the AJ Styles bandwagon right away. Rey Mysterio was supposed to be the final entrant in the match, but we saw him getting attacked backstage by the other members of the OC. Seemingly set up, setting up an AJ Styles victory by default, but then gets interrupted by a returning Undertaker. A lot of rumors floating around about The Undertaker. There's been a lot of AJ Styles, Undertaker, WrestleMania rumors floating around for weeks. We uh, saw reports of The Undertaker being in Saudi Arabia in the days prior to Super Showdown. We got a huge, elaborate, really cool, as usual, Undertaker entrance. And you know, they always do it up in Saudi Arabia with the, the fireworks and the pyro. So it was a really cool entrance for The Undertaker. Undertaker comes in, hits a choke slam, kind of out of nowhere, and gets the one, two, three, and Undertaker is your mount whatever trophy winner. I don't know, I, f I forget what it was, but it's just another meaningless trophy that we got have to have because it's a Saudi Arabia show. We had the that ugly green Greatest Royal Rumble belt. We had the trophy that best in the world Shane McMahon was carrying around for a long time we had the tag team trophy and now we got the mountain trophy that glowing mountain trophy that Undertaker I guess is going to have to carry around with him forever which I'm sure he's not going to do so I'm guessing that's setting up AJ and Undertaker at Wrestlemania however the big thing that everybody's talking about let's party like it's 1999 because Goldberg is in a world title match and Goldberg defeats The Fiend, being the first one to defeat The Fiend, who had seem, seemingly been so overpower, overpowering since he had come onto the scene, winning that Universal Championship from Seth Rollins, carrying it through the feud with Daniel Bryan, but he had never taken on a 53-year-old man. And that's what he got 
in Goldberg. And Goldberg in one of the worst matches of the year. It is a early favorite. And we told you it was going to be. It is an early favorite for worst match of the year. This was so disjointed. It was very difficult to watch. Thank God it was very short. But we had Goldberg hitting a spear, Bray popping up and grabbing the mandible cog, Goldberg powering out, nailing three more spears, still only getting the two count. The Fiend gets back up, mandible claw again. Goldberg gets out of the mandible claw, hits the worst jackhammer in the history of Goldberg's career. I don't know if Bray sandbagged him. I don't know if Goldberg's just too old to be doing the jackhammer anymore. This was tough to watch, and I bet it was tough to watch for a lot of people because a lot of people use that B word, and they feel that Goldberg is burying the Fiend as, as we head on the road to WrestleMania here. Goldberg, as your universal champion, and the Fiend's reign ending seemingly out of nowhere. Goldberg just shows up on SmackDown one week via satellite, says I challenge the Fiend, Comes on next week again. We have a little interaction between the two. Goldberg wins. Now it seems like they're done. Doesn't seem like The Fiend, after being so dominant and not being defeated since he came back, is not going to get another shot at the Universal title because Goldberg is on his uh, way to face Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Roman Reigns came out, didn't win a match, just said, I'm next. And now he's got a match at WrestleMania against Goldberg. And it looks like The Fiend is hooking up with John Cena. Which, you know what? All things considered for The Fiend, a lot of people are hating on this. A lot of people are crapping on the fact that Goldberg is in 2020. Not 1998, but 2020 is a now a two-time Universal Champion in the biggest company on the planet going to be in one of the headlining spots at WrestleMania and a lot of people feel like that was Bray's spot. I feel like a lot of people felt like all the work and effort that Bray has put into this character and put into building this character that he deserved a lot more than that and I'm not going to disagree with that but I think Bray's kind of in a better spot. I think rather than jobbing out to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania which he definitely would have done now Bray can be in a high-profile match with John Cena, and he can actually go over. Bray Wyatt winning at a WrestleMania is kind of a, a new concept. So this might be a blessing in disguise for Bray, and it could kind of have a similar effect to the Yes movement. You know, you feel when you think back to Daniel Bryan holding that WWE title, that World Heavyweight title or whatever it was called back then, and then getting jobbed out to Sheamus in 8 seconds or 18 seconds or whatever it was. That really was the, the precipice for the Yes movement. A lot of people felt like Daniel Bryan is someone who has a lot of pa passion for pro wrestling, even though he was a heel at the time. They still respected his skills. They still respected his passion. And they felt like he was being wronged. And they got behind him. And then the Yes Movement was created. And now Daniel Bryan is a future Hall of Famer. Could something similar happen with Bray? A lot of people feel like Bray is getting wrong. A lot of people love Boo and John Cena anyway. We could have Bray, you know, have his Yes Movement moment. Maybe that was his moment. Maybe that was his WrestleMania uh, Sheamus 
eight seconds, 18 seconds, whatever it was, kicking your head off moment. And maybe we can be on to bigger and better things for The Fiend. But Goldberg is champion, man. It is a tough pill to swallow. There have been a lot, there's been a lot of backlash on social media. A lot of people saying they're canceling their WWE subscriptions. Bully Ray got into some uh, discussions with folks on Twitter saying that if you don't know why Goldberg is champion, then you just don't understand pro wrestling. A lot of people fired back at Bully Ray for those comments saying that Bully Ray is the one who doesn't actually doesn't understand pro wrestling. But you got to understand why they're doing it. You know, Goldberg is a big name. Goldberg is somebody who is recognizable. It's some, he's somebody that uh, nostalgia is a big thing, not only in, in the world and in pop culture, but especially in pro wrestling. Nostalgia is something that is an easy card to play. And when you have somebody like Goldberg that you can put out there, maybe he's somebody that the fans will hate even more than Roman Reigns. Even though Roman's been doing pretty good ever since beating leukemia, that's what he had to do to get the fans to like him again. There's been a couple times where the fans have already forgotten about that courageous thing that he did and that he overcame and have wanted to turn on him again. This could be the WWE's way of making sure that doesn't happen. And I wish Goldberg would go full heel, man. I wish he would embrace the hate. I wish he would, you know, be I wish I wish he would buy into you know people's perception of him that he's just a part timer that he's coming in and he's getting title shots without deserving them I wish he would I wish he would just buy into that full force I wish he would say yeah I get a title shot when I want you know why because I'm better than everybody out here you know why they have to bring me in is because I'm box office and they can't get ratings and I when I was you know, beating Hogan in front of, you know, 40, 50,000 people in the Georgia Dome and drawing the highest cable ratings ever. Now they're getting a third of that on a weekly basis. So they got to bring me in. If they, if he would go full out with that heel character, there could be something there. And I think that would make Roman Reigns even more of an attractive baby face. But I just don't think that's what Goldberg wants to do. I don't think, I think Goldberg loves being that hero for the kids, loves being, loves being that superhero, and whether people are going to boo him or not, I think that's what he wants to do. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on Goldberg as Universal Champion on the road to WrestleMania. Always send those to us at rhinowrestlingreview at gmail.com or on Twitter at rhino underscore wrestling. Uh, let's talk about Raw this past week. Briefly, I don't want to get too much into Raw because it depresses me, but I got to give a shout out to Raw for opening and closing the show in a hot fashion. We had an encounter with Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar calling out Drew McIntyre, and Brock made Drew look like a million bucks on Monday night. It looked like Brock was going to walk away from the fight, uh, like almost like he was, not like he was scared, but like he was. Uh, too important and Drew was too far below him in order to even engage in fisticuffs on Monday night and as soon as Brock turned around he ran right into a Claymore kick and Brock sold the shit out of it Drew walks off as the conquering hero goes backstage Brock stumbles he, Brock is Brock's great when he wants to be man there's no there you cannot discount the fact that this guy is one of the best in the business when he wants to be and it seems like he wants to be he must like drew because the people that he that he likes and gets along with he will go 
the, the extra level. He will, go, he will go the extra mile in order to make them look good. When Brock stumbles to the top of the ramp, we got Drew waiting for him coming out of the backstage area. Another Claymore kick. Fans wanted another one, so they got another Claymore kick. And then if you've seen the clip online of Brock telling Drew to grab, pick up the belt, pick up the belt, to get Drew over even more. And as soon as Drew picked up that belt and, and raised it up, the crowd went ape shit, man. Drew McIntyre, this is the guy that just several years ago was doing a an air guitar gimmick in WWE, gets released, reinvents himself, goes on to the indies, goes to Impact, goes to NXT, reinvents his character, and then comes up to the main roster and stalls, and now is to the point where he's going to be one of the in one of the headlining matches at WrestleMania, and it's believable. Now, are we going to be saying the same thing if he beats Brock and has another Seth Rollins-like nosedive at post-WrestleMania? Like the Monday Night Messiah did last year? Could be. Could be the chase is a lot better than actually getting to the top of the mountain. But that crowd was into Drew. Drew was super over. Brock did an amazing job of, of getting Drew over on uh, Monday night. And Drew is positioning himself as a believable threat to Brock Lesnar. And that's something that we don't often have. Even we had Seth Rollins who beat Brock twice last year. You still look at Seth Rollins, you don't see him as a believable threat to Brock Lesnar. Drew looks like that. And it kind of sounds a little bit too much like Vince McMahon. Like, oh my God, look at him. Look at him. Look at the traps. Look at the lats. Look at the traps. Look at the vascularity. Look at the size of him. But it's not just his physical look. It's... The, the look that we're getting with the interactions between the two, with the, the selling by Brock, which is, is which is very much on point, and the the aggression of Drew McIntyre. So it's not just the physical look of, of the lats and the traps and the delts and the va vascularity that Vinnie Mac loves. It's kind of the whole package that we're seeing between these two. These two seem like they got a lot of good chemistry together. I'm really curious to see how the, the match goes. I'm really curious to see how... Brock does with a bigger guy like Drew, but a bigger guy who's super athletic as well. We also had some good stuff in the middle. We had the Street Profits in an excellent World Tag Team title match against Seth Rollins and Buddy Murphy. Oh, I'm sorry, Murphy. I can't say Buddy anymore. And Seth Rollins and Murphy losing those tag team titles with a little bit of help from Kevin Owens which kind of gets those tag belts off of them, even though I, I really did like those two as, as tag champions. I'm loving the Monday Night Messiah gimmick. Seth Rollins is just a heel, man. Just look at him. Just look at the way he looks. Of course he's a heel. He doesn't work as a babyface. He is a heel through and through, and as soon as they got him back on the heel side of the equation, I was just much more happy. Much more happy with, with Seth Rollins. And I did like him and Murphy as tag champs. I thought it gave Murphy, kind of leveled Murphy up a little bit. I don't know what they're going to do now. I guess Murphy's still going to be part of Seth's, Seth's posse of followers. His disciples, if you will. But it was a big win for the Street Profits, especially with I believe it was Montez Ford getting the 
pinfall on Seth Rollins. That was a big deal. Rather than getting it on Murphy, that was a big deal for Montez Ford to hit that top rope splash and get the pinfall over Seth Rollins. That was very important. And it may have been something that kind of flew under the radar, but making Seth take the pin because of the interference by KO, I thought was very important. I thought it adds some credibility to the Street Profits. And let's see what the Street Profits can do with the titles. Got to, you got to run with them eventually. You got to give them a shot. I think they've they've lost something since they've come to the main roster. But who hasn't? Who hasn't lost something when they've come up to the main roster? Because you got to water it down, man. You got to water it down for the masses. You got to make sure it's like uh, food that you get at a wedding. You know, catered food most of the time is not very good. It's not very flavorful because they make it in such big quantities and. You can't make it too spicy. You can't make it too salty because you have to cater, literally, to, you know, 150, 200, 250, 300 people. So it's got to be very basic. It's got to be very watered down. It's got to be kind of bland. It's not great. Or maybe I'm just poor and I go to the wrong weddings. I don't know. But all the weddings that, that I've, I've been to, man, it's just, it's, it's just okay. It's just not great. And that's what we're doing when we're bringing these exciting talents up to the main roster. But let them run with it, see what they can do. And I like the title change there, and I guess it's setting up Seth and KO as we are on the road to WrestleMania. And then, what did you guys think of the Randy Orton-Beth Phoenix segment at the end? There was only one thing that I did not like about it, and that was the fact that the crowd was chanting for the RKO from the beginning. The fact that the crowd seemingly wanted the babyface Beth Phoenix, who had already had her husband's career destroyed several weeks ago, his big return destroyed by Randy Orton. Now the wife of Edge, Hall of Famer Beth Phoenix, is out there, and it seems like the fans wanted from the beginning Beth to get RKO. But we finally got the explanation from Randy Orton as to why he did what he did to Edge and to kind of paraphrase Randy Orton saying that Edge was Edge coming back was going to take him away from his family it was going to take him away from his kids it was going to take him away from his wife that's something that Randy Orton did not want to see Edge lose out on by selfishly coming back so he took Edge out took that away from him so now Beth gets his Beth gets her husband back their kids get their dad back dad's not going to be on the road all the time dad's going to be home and Beth is just overwhelmed by all of this information and almost to the point where Beth was kind of almost a little bit understanding of what Randy was saying and that it she was feeling so many different emotions like she was angry at Randy for what he did but also feeling this connection between her and her husband and her and her family that some of the things Randy was saying was, was kind of hitting home a little bit until Randy blamed everything on Beth and called her an enabler and called Edge a, a junkie for the, for the ring and a junkie for the crowd pop and Beth being the one to encourage 
Edge to come back and encourage him to make a return to the ring. And then that's when Beth couldn't take anymore and couldn't take Randy blaming her for the actions that Randy had to felt like he had to eventually take. We got a big slap from Beth. Randy looked like he was going to kind of shrug it off. Not really wanting to, but figuring this is a female and this is one of my best friend's wife, so I'm going to let it go. But then he had to call Beth a bitch. Beth kicks him in the gut. We get an RKO seemingly out of nowhere. Beth sells it like a champ, takes it like a champ. And here we go. On the road to WrestleMania, it looks like we are going to... Whenever Edge does come back, it's going to be a big pop. It's going to be a big return. And I don't want to see these two touch until WrestleMania. If Edge wants to come out and Randy, Randy Orton's in the ring with somebody else and Edge has to spear somebody to get to Randy Orton, but then Randy escapes and Edge is just out of his mind, incredulous, just cannot contain himself. It's just like a madman possessed. And it sets up the match between the two at WrestleMania. That's when I want to see the first touch. I want to see that happen at WrestleMania. But credit to Beth Phoenix. And it made it even better because Beth was not on commentary for NXT this week. They're selling the injury. They could have easily put you know Beth out there on NXT and say, Yeah, this happened to me on Monday night and I'm going to trudge through. But no, don't put her on commentary. Maybe don't put her on next week either. I'm not saying that I don't like Beth Phoenix on commentary. I'm saying that adds layers to the story between Randy Orton and Edge and Beth Phoenix. So super hot beginning to the show of Raw. Good match in the middle. Super hot ending. The rest of it was just a regular old crapola that we get. Between that tag match and the beginning segment, the ending segments, you say that's about, what, 40 minutes of a three-hour show? That means that, you know, 70% of it is just garbage that you can just easily fast forward through and not really miss anything but hey i'm gonna call it a good show because if i got a good beginning a good end and a good match in the middle i'm gonna call it a good show because my expectations for raw are super low nowadays so real quick wrestlemania card as it stands right now Five matches official announced for the card. So we're not going to talk about the ones that we think are possibilities. We're pretty sure we're going to get AJ and The Undertaker. We're not going to talk about that until it is official. Pretty sure we're going to get Edge and Randy Orton. Not going to talk about that until it's official. What we've got right now, Becky Lynch taking on the winner of this Sunday's Elimination Chamber. John Cena taking on Bray Wyatt. Rhea Ripley defending the NXT Women's Championship against Charlotte Flair. Goldberg defending the Universal Championship against Roman Reigns, and Brock Lesnar defending the WWE Championship against Drew McIntyre. So as the card stands right now, what do they need to add? Um, in my opinion, a lot, man. I'm, I'm not feeling this card in a big way right now. I think last year's is head and shoulders better than what this card is. I think the main event story, even though it was kind of a letdown match, but the main event story... Charlotte Flair, Ronda Rousey, and Becky Lynch last year, and also the fact the uh, uniqueness of it being the first ever women's main event at a WrestleMania, and as hot as Becky was, and as big of a star as Charlotte or Charlotte is, and as big of a 
sports star as Ronda Rousey is and was, I think that was just a unique, perfect storm of storytelling that took several months to get there. I think the whole Kofi Mania thing last year, leading into with Daniel Bryan, taking on Daniel Bryan for that title, with Daniel Bryan being one of the, uh, doing some of his best heel work that he has done, some of the best heel work that anybody's ever done probably in the last five years. Getting stuff like uh, Randy Orton and AJ Styles, retirement matches for Batista and Kurt Angle, even that Shane McMahon and Miz Falls Count Anywhere match was, was very entertaining. Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder even finally overcoming uh, the, the losing streak that Kurt Hawkins had done to win that Raw Tag Team Championship. And that fatal four-way match for the SmackDown Tag Team Ch Championship that we had last year. There's a lot that's going to be added to this card. There were 16 matches on last year's card, and we've only got five. So it's hard to judge it right now. But judging it based on the fact that we've got five high-profile matches already booked for this card... It's not knocking my socks off. Brock and Drew has a lot of potential. I'm, I'm liking the way this is being built. It's surprisingly good, considering that I was not a big believer in Drew McIntyre for the last year or so, ever since he was brought up. I wasn't a big proponent of him winning the Royal Rumble. I am curious now about how this match is going to go, but it's not a knock-my-socks-off match. I'm just curious. Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair, another one I'm curious about. I think Charlotte can have a good match with anybody. I think Rhea is a rising star. Are they going to have chemistry, though? I don't know. Goldberg and Roman Reigns has the potential to be an awful match. It has the potential to be a huge shit show. And it's the potential... You've got a couple guys that the fans have a history of crapping on. John Cena against Bray Wyatt. Guys, Bray Wyatt doesn't have good matches. He had some... He had... A good one against Daniel Bryan, and that's about it. He's had, in the last three years, two of my worst match of the year matches. I think Bray Wyatt's in-ring ability is a little bit overrated. I think the Fiend character is tough to have a good match because he's so overpowered. And you got John Cena who hasn't been in a ring in months. And then Becky Lynch taking on the Elimination Chamber winner, who we think is going to be Shayna Baszler. You know I'm not a big fan of Shayna Baszler. I think that as a heel character, she's she's pretty good. But as an in-ring performer, she's kind of bland. She's kind of boring. We saw that the Becky Lynch, Shayna Baszler, Bailey match at the Headline Survivor Series this past year went over like a fart in church. It was not good. And maybe the fact that Bailey was in there, we couldn't really see what the chemistry was between Becky Lynch and Shayna Baszler. But I'm not liking the storyline as we as we build into this. I don't like the Becky has to be really careful too, because the things that made her cool last year and the things that made her over with the crowd last year, now she's coming out, you know, dressed like Elton John on Raw this past week. She better be careful, or she's going to find her. We're going to find ourselves with nobody caring about either one of these two, uh, because the fans aren't going to like either one of them. She needs to take a little bit of a a clue from her fiance Seth Rollins in that matter. You got to be careful because if you start presenting yourself the wrong way, these fans will turn on you in the blink of an eye. So that's the card as it stands right now. It's it's not looking great. 
It's not looking great. They're going to add quite a bit. They're probably going to add 10 matches to this. And they could add some, some really good stuff. What do they need to add? Man, that's hard to say. You know, what do you do with Daniel Bryan? You want to put Daniel Bryan in a, in a pretty prominent match, I would think. Maybe we'll get some kind of ladder match for either the U.S. or the Intercontinental title. That would add, uh, get, you know, get a lot of bodies out there, but also add a, a very exciting match to the card. You know they're going to do something with the New Day. You know they're probably going to do something with the, the women's tag belts. You know they're probably going to do something with both of the, the men's tag belts. You know we're going to have the probably a women's battle royal and a men's battle royal. Probably going to get AJ and The Undertaker. That That's cool. I like it. We're probably going to get Randy Orton and Edge, which would could potentially be amazing. You know they're going to throw Baron Corbin out there to do some horse shit. So it, it, it's going to be very interesting as we get closer. But this, this card needs to start shaping out because we're about a month away. And we've got about a third of the card done. On the other hand, we're just a few days away from a pay-per-view this Sunday. And I didn't even know it was happening. So let's go through that card real quick. WWE Elimination Chamber coming to you this Sunday. Let's roll through the card real quick and give you my mostly incorrect picks. Looks like we're going to be at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, PA. I love that Philly crowd. You know, they don't take no shit there in Philly. Uh, we've got Andrade defending his United States Championship against Humberto Carrillo. I really think that this they could they could put the title on Carrillo. I think Andrade just coming back off of that wellness policy suspension. This could be his penance that he has to pay. And I also think that uh, they were kind of planning the seeds that we could be getting an, an Andrade Angel Garza tag team. So this could be the chance to put it on Carrillo. I'm not a big Carrillo guy. I don't really get the fascination with him. I am a big Andrade guy, and I'm a huge Zelina Vega guy. That goes without saying, but Andrade versus Umberto Carrillo. Uh, this could be Umberto's chance to carry some gold in WWE. Aleister Black against AJ Styles in a no-DQ match. Aleister Black's been kind of having some trouble with the OC lately and the numbers game. And this could be very interesting. This could be a heck of a match, especially with the no DQ stipulation. That could potentially work in AJ Styles' favor with the OC. Could we see maybe The Undertaker pop up to cause uh, AJ Styles the match and set up a potential face-off with AJ Styles and The Undertaker at WrestleMania? I'm going to go with Aleister Black in this one because of just that reason. I think we're going to get The Undertaker on Sunday. Street Profits defending their newly won Raw Tag Team Championships against Seth Rollins and Murphy in a rematch. I don't see any reason to take the belts off the Street Profits right away. I think this could be a very uh, good, another very good match. They had an excellent match on Raw, and there's no reason they can't do the same on Sunday. But I'm going to go with the Street Profits to retain, and we'll maybe even get some more shenanigans from Kevin Owens. I think it could potentially play out very similar to the way it played out on Raw this past week. The Miz and Morrison defending their newly won SmackDown Tag Team Championships against The New Day, The Usos, Heavy Machinery, The Lucha House Party, and Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode in the Elimination Chamber. 
it's not often that you get tag teams in the Elimination Chamber. We've only seen it, uh, I know, one time when the women's tag team titles were officially minted and crowned. But Elimination Chamber matches are always hard-hitting. Elimination Chamber matches always have that era of unpredictability, always have that era of surprise, who's coming out next, how is it going to play out with the different eliminations of the different individuals, and in this case, the different teams. There's a lot of teams in here that I give no cares about, including Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode, including the Lucha House Party, including Heavy Machinery, and then we've got Miz and Morrison, the New Day, and the Usos, who I think are all pretty intriguing teams. Uh, I don't know why you would take it off the Miz and Morrison when they just put it on them at the Super Showdown, so I'll go with Miz and Morrison in this one. But I'm looking forward to some high-flying stuff from the Lucha House Party in, and the Usos inside the cage. And I'm, you got to imagine that Kofi Kingston, who's got a history in these Elimination Chamber matches, is going to do something crazy. So it should be entertaining. I don't know if it's going to be good, but it should at least be entertaining. We've got Braun Strowman defending his Intercontinental Championship in a three-on-one handicap match against Nakamura, Cesaro, and Sami Zayn. I don't even know what to say about this. I hate Braun Strowman as a babyface. I don't like him much as a heel either. I don't get it. I don't get why the crowd pops so much when his, his roaring song comes on. I don't know why he's in a three-on-one handicap match. I assume Braun Strowman's going to crush three people and bury Nakamura, Cesaro, and Sami Zayn and retain his Intercontinental Championship. And then we've got the main event for the Raw, uh, for a shot at the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania. The winner to take on Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. We've got Natalia, Liv Morgan, Shayna Baszler, Asuka, Ruby Riot, and Sarah Logan. The only person I could see coming out of this. I don't even know why they're having the match if Shayna Baszler is not going to win it. What's the whole point of building up this feud between Shayna Baszler and Becky Lynch if they're not going to fight at WrestleMania? I don't know why they're not just fighting at WrestleMania. I don't know why we have to go through the process of having this match on Sunday. I don't know how good it's going to be. Natalia is solid in the ring. Liv Morgan is bad. Asuka is very good. Ruby Riot is okay. Sarah Logan is passable. Shayna Baszler is boring. I don't know how this is going to work out. It's the Elimination Chamber, so there's an era of intrigue there. But this could this could be very bad. This could be a very, very bad match. And I kind of hope that this match doesn't go on last. But what do you put on last? You don't put on Alistair and AJ with nothing on the line. You don't put on the tag match. You don't put on Humberto Carrillo last ever. Maybe the the tag team elimination chamber if you've got some big spots planned in there. But I think this women's match is going to go on last, and I think it's going to be a big disappointment. And I think Shayna Baszler is going to win, and I'm going to be a bit, <laughs> the one who's uh, got the big disappointment. But that's my brief look at elimination chamber this Sunday. We talked a little bit about everything, folks. Gave you some AEW Revolution. We gave you the shot Saudi shit show that was over in the Middle East. Uh, we talked a little bit about Raw opening and closing strong. Gave you a little bit of a preview at the WrestleMania card and my quick breakdown of Elimination Chamber this Sunday.
I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to grab a drink and rehydrate. And then I'm going to come back with your emails, short segment and segment two. This is the Rhino Wrestling Review brought to you by our friends at ProWrestling.com. I'm Dan Rhino. Don't go anywhere. special surprise guest run-in by my lovely wife, Jessica. Is it really a run-in if I'm sitting on the couch? It's a run-in. Oh, okay. It's, it's a run-in. Wrestling, ter- wrestling terminology. And the reason I'm bringing you in is because I want to uh, call on your medical expertise. Ooh. You have a lot of years in the medical field. Is that correct? I do. You started off as an EMT. Yes. And then you were a, a medical assistant in a primary care doctor's office and also at a cardiology office. I I'm I can do all things. You do a little bit what of What can I say? And we've got some emails here and one of them is medically related. So I wanted to reach out to you and see what you thought about this. I know you have know a little bit about uh what the email is going to be discussing and then also some of the you've worked in a medical office through some of the other epidemics we've had <laughs> yes over the years the latest epidemic that's going to kill us being the wuhan coronavirus Ooh, very Woo-ha. <laughs> i was gonna say very professional tech. and tech technical but now we're wuhaing Woo. Let me see if my dog would respond. He only does it when the nature boy. <laughs> yeah, only when you do the little sound drop. So uh, the first email we're going to read here comes from Captain Insano in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. My goodness. Yep. He should get some help. Captain Insano shows no mercy. <laughs> I think it's from the water boy. 
Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, Captain Insano writes, Hi guys, I'm heading to my first WrestleMania next month, but I'm a little worried about this whole coronavirus outbreak. What are the chances that WrestleMania gets canceled? I get a little more worried every day. That's probably the part of the media that's making him, Captain Insano, a little more worried every day because that's how they get clicks. That's how they get eyes is by scaring us. Mm -hmm. We have to watch, right? Getting people to tune in. What's next? What's next? So what do you know? All right. So th- what, what I know about the coronavirus so far, and you can use your medical expertise to just, you know, put me in my place, say I'm an idiot. It is, you know, a lot of people think that it's the flu. It's not the flu. It's not influenza. It is not. Uh, the flu shot's not going to help you with nope. the coronavirus. Flu shot's not even helping you with the flu this yeah. year. <laughs> They have admitted that they got that wrong. Oops. Whoops. Sorry. We just injected foreign substances into your body for no good reason. So. But you should get a flu shot. I didn't get one. I got one. I have to. Yeah. I have autoimmune issues. They they forced them on me. Our tag team would be some kind of, uh, our gimmick would be how bad our immune systems are. (laughs) Just like halfway through the match, we would just start coughing and hacking and then we'd get the other pe- guys sick and then we could pin them nice because we're used to yeah. functioning like we feel like crap when we don't all, feel good all the time so that's our secret it's our superpower there so this this virus it's um well it starts off as a, a virus and then it like go turns into like an actual disease or something it's like it's got like two names for it it's got like the like the NCOV, is, and then it turns into like like something else that uh, some other uh, what's what's the word when you like abbreviate things with the letters? Acronym. Acronym. <laughs> I was gonna say an anagram. That's not it. I'm sitting here going, well, gee, I think you more know more about it than I do. No, but I don't, I don't know but about, I'm just here to tell you the word acronym. It. Apparently. Um, so the numbers that I got right now, the and these were as of February 1st. So some something has probably changed in the last month. It changes every day, Daniel. It, it does. But I. But the reason I pulled up this chart is because it compares it to some of the other big epidemics that we've had. And we've had quite a few in the time that you've been in the medical field. We had uh, SARS in 2002. Do you remember SARS? Yeah, good old SARS. Uh, that had about 8,100 cases, 774 deaths. So it had a pretty high fatality rate, uh, 9.6% fatality rate in uh, 29 different countries. The big one was H1N1. Ooh. H1N1 got the big push, brother, back in 2009. Over s- almost 800 million cases God. of H1N1 in the world, 214 countries. Uh, but it had a very low fatality rate. It had 0.02% fatality rate. But that was probably, like, the biggest one that you can remember. Actually, well, I mean, I remember that. But I don't... It didn't really disrupt our way of life. Mm-hmm. I don't but remember you, you had it. so much of that coming in the office. Yeah. Though, right? We had a couple, It wasn't that big of a deal. Like, I don't know. But that was... was that Maybe it's just the distance. It was the Ebola stuff that, like, we had to, like, change our whole way of working like people called on the phone we had to be like are you sick have you traveled don't come here Mm -hmm. like 
they really cracked down on that one. The H1N1 was like, oh, you got it, okay. Now, that was like a mutation of the flu, right? Was that what H1N1 was? Wasn't that the one they called the swine flu? Uh, swine, was it swine flu? Uh, there was a bird flu in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> bird flu, man, killed 52% of the people that got it. But like only 860 people got it. Oh. I just know about the West Nile, which is not related to any of this, mm. but I am an expert on that because, you know, I, I had the West Nile that one summer. Now, was was H1N1, that wasn't the swine flu. I thought, was MERS, M-E-R-S, that was the swine flu, wasn't it? I don't remember. Hold on, we'll have a intern look, and look it, it up, up real quick. Hold on. So, MERS was the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. That was in 2012, so you probably didn't get a whole lot of that no. over here. Uh, 34% fatality rate. But... The swine flu was like an offshoot of influenza A, so you were correct there. And it looks like the swine flu was like 2009 in Mexico is where it started. And it started with pigs. Pigs. <laughs> so was that was... Uh, so if you ate bacon, you got swine flu. Yeah, it said like... Um, People of, probably actually thought that, Out too. of, like, the 7 billion people in the world, about uh, 11 to 20% of the global population had it. Because we all like bacon. <laughs> we do like bacon. But it had a, it had a very low uh, fatality rate. And um, in 2010, the World Health Organization had said that that pandemic was over. So it's really weird how these, why is it, maybe I'm missing something. Why is it that some these things are so awful and then they're, they kind of just go away? Is that, do they come up with vaccines for all these things? Do they, does, well, like, does, does the spread of them just kind of fade out, burn well, out? I don't know. Daniel, you know, when you feel like shit. And you call the doctor and you tell him you feel like shit. Every day. And he goes, there's nothing I can do for you. Every day. It's a virus. Part of the problem. There's not really a treatment for it. You can treat the symptoms, but it's a virus. We don't have any, well, I can't say we don't have any antivirus medicine mm -hmm. because we got that Tamiflu, but let's face it, that doesn't do a whole lot. Um, it's not like antibiotics. We can just throw antibiotics at things and and feel better in a couple of days. And then these nasty viruses are always mutating. Same reason why the flu shot doesn't always work. They're guessing at what this year's mutation is going to be. And sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they, well, I don't think they get it perfectly right. But sometimes they get it kind of right and it helps your body fight off the flu. Or some years they don't get it right at all and you still get the flu. Mm -hmm. A and B and then pneumonia, like your mother. Which would be something that you would need antibiotics for. Yes, which would be for the, the pneumonia. Pneumonia, because that's a lot of times it's not. It's a lot of times it's not the flu that gets people. It's the ensuing pneumonia that that and the kills respiratory. People. Yeah, mm -hmm. the respiratory issues. You get those lung infections. You can't breathe. You need to be able to breathe. So what are we seeing with this with the coronavirus though? That is, I mean, we've got uh, some of the. Over, you know, we know that it originated over in the in the Far East, but New Japan, who who runs over 
on that side of the world. They've already canceled a lot of their shows uh, upcoming in this spring. I guess because they don't want to get that many people together mm-hmm. in, in one place. So it's not even about them traveling to the States. They don't even want to get that many people together in one place in that part of the world. Now it's starting. we're starting to see where it's affecting like international travel. Uh, you were saying that one of your authors who was going on a... a two pro- now. Two of, your, two. two of your authors yeah. that were going on promotional book tours have now canceled their tours. And they weren't even... Were they even well, international? One... Well, yes. She canceled the U.S. tour first. Then, like, a couple days later, she announced that she was canceling the U.K. tour. The other one was actually not on tour, but she was supposed to be going to one of these book festivals. And well, she, there's going to be a whole bunch of people. Where she pulled out. She doesn't want to mm-hmm. go to... She's not going to go to the show. Just because of all the shaking hands and... Mm-hmm. Just all the the breathing and the <laughs> the, the breathing, yes. People all, breathing. All the on people you. breathing. It, you, I, remember when we went to the thing at C2E2 last weekend, mm-hmm. and it was the sing along, and I told you the room started to smell like bad breath. Started to smell like bad breath. Yeah. Exactly. We're all in the same room. Everybody's breathing hard, mm-hmm. singing, spelling their breath forcefully, and it started to smell. And I just think of all the germs that were in that. Mm-hmm. And the, the it was thi- so thick we could smell it. But the fact that it's starting to affect travel, like you said, a couple of your author author buddies who are you know promoting books, we heard that C2E2 was fine this past week, but there was a big show. A I huge think show. it's not this weekend, but it's the next weekend. So like two weekends after C2E2. Yeah. yeah, at McCormick Place has has canceled a home and gardens show and a huge of some one. sort a hu- like yeah a, a like huge they said one. like sixty thousand people which is more than c2e2 yeah <laughs> and they bailed so but read pop who puts on c2e2 has put a notice on their social media pages that because people were questioning about BookCon in new york mm-hmm. which is not till the end very 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 end of may mm-hmm. beginning of june they can't possibly know what the situation is going to be like at that time and they, they have posted that they have no intentions of canceling we want now, your money now whether or not they'll have any guests there we don't know because like i said two authors have already pulled out of mm-hmm. closer events you know date wise and it's it's really not that bad yet like i, can, I only see it getting worse mm-hmm. before it gets better that's not it's good. just starting right now so this could, Captain Insano could have reason to be worried about this because I, there are there is a big international crowd. WrestleMania is a big international show. A lot of people come from out of the country and not just from around the United States. They come from overseas in order to see WrestleMania. A lot, I think a lot of the flights are starting to be cancel a lot of international flights are starting to be canceled a lot of international flights are starting to be more closely monitored as they we may shut down travel in from this country out to this country there's a i'd be a little worried if i if i had the show coming up in in a month it was still a month away because 
there's a lot of big conventions and a lot of big gatherings that are getting shut down. If this was the Super Bowl, they wouldn't shut down the Super Bowl, though. And no. This is kind of the Super Bowl of pro wrestling. So I, I could see it affecting some of the, the smaller shows that are going to be in the Tampa area that weekend. I Man, odds of them canceling WrestleMania, that would be a big loss. And WWE doesn't give two Fs when, they, when it comes to money. I mean, they go over to... Saudi Arabia, where they, you know, chop reporters' heads off and still still go over there because the money's so good. And and the royal family over there is, you know, uh, murdering women and children on a daily basis. And we still go over there because they, cause the money's good. They throw money at them. So the fact that the chances that they would, that they would cancel Mania when most of the tickets are already sold anyway, they've already got the money. So. Yeah, they don't want to give that back. Um, yeah, as far as this goes, I mean, I kind of feel like it's a two-part question. Like, are you afraid that you're going to go there and get sick? Mm-hmm. Or are you afraid they're going to cancel it? I mean, both of those are concerns. I'd be more afraid about them canceling it than going there and getting sick. Yeah, that's how I feel, too. I mean... I'd like to address both concerns. Like, we just went to C2E2. It's in Chicago. Chicago has uh, reported, confirmed cases of coronavirus. We went there. There were people from all over the country. Lots of people drinking Mexican beer. Lots of people. Yeah. We saw people walking around with coronas. Um, Open. Just like the. Just open. All over. Open cans. Just walking around. Um, But as far as, like, I mean. For the general population, it's not going to kill you. You have to have something else wrong. Mm-hmm. Right now, it has about a 2% mortality rate. Yeah. And it's dropping. These deaths all the that time. we hear about are, you know, elderly people, people who have immune system problems. Maybe we should have been more worried. Um, people who have other issues going on. Now, I would feel horrible if we went to C2E2. And I got coronavirus and I was sick for a couple of days and I was fine. But then I passed it off to like my grandpa or something mm-hmm. and then he got sick. Mm-hmm. I'd feel horrible about that. But, you know, that's kind of part of the reasons why I looked up the incubation period. I wanted to know how long before or how long after C2E2 do I know that I don't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I looked up. It said anywhere between 1 and 14 days with five to six days being the the norm mm-hmm. um i'm going to a play tomorrow night and sitting next to my grandpa all night so yeah that is something i think about but um i think that like you said the biggest concern is um more about canceling it or travel issues and i wouldn't worry about like you said wwe making that call but Maybe the city makes that call. Maybe the convention center makes that call. They have to put their employees in that building and serve food to all of these thousands of people. Maybe, you know, the airport has restrictions, like you said, things that are out of wrestling world's control. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, but we don't know. I mean, right now, I just don't see it being that major of a concern. That they're shutting big things like this down. I thought it a little odd that the two authors I mentioned pulled out of things. There was also a big 
convention in Berlin that was supposed to be like a uh, like a travel like it was kind of ironic because it was a travel convention mm -hmm. like the biggest travel convention in the world. What do they talk about at a travel convention? Traveling. Like hotels? Probably. And planes? Sure. Cars? Yeah, all that. Okay. <laughs> if you can think, if you think about it when you think about <laughs> travel, they probably talk about it there. But that they got canceled because of travel concerns. <laughs> you think they need to get together and talk about that? Maybe they're just they gonna, could. Maybe they're they just going to do a really big Facebook. Maybe they'd have group some kind chat. of meeting, like some kind of convention, to talk about maybe that. They can do it on Facebook. It's yeah, fine. They, they're going to be skyping it. Start a group chat. So, how, do you anticipate this getting? You you said you anticipated getting worse before it gets better yes how, how long do you think this things like this normally last i mean i'm looking back on some of the you know similar pandemics we've had you know most of them were figured out pretty quickly and you know like we said with uh, like the swine flu 2009 by 2010 they had you know, pretty much said that it's not an issue anymore. Yeah, well, they're saying at least a year still for a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they did, they came up with like an H1N1 vaccine, right? Yes. Okay. I don't remember how long that took, but I, I think it But I never hear about anybody getting H1N1. No, anymore. it's gone. And it's not like, like, it's not like a, like a vaccine that you get like for polio and you never have to get it again. You might have to get like a booster later, but like the flu shot you get every year, sometimes it works. Sometimes but the virus doesn't. mutates. It's not even H1N1 anymore. Okay. So it's just, that's not what it is. It mutated into something else. It's not like we eradicated it. Gotcha. We didn't cure it and it's gone forever. And the thing that, you know, people think that the mask are going to, you know, people are, everybody's thinking, oh, I'll just wear a mask. From from everything that I've read, the masks are really only good at helping you not give it to somebody else. Yes. But the masks don't lay flush on your, your face. They, they are not, those just like surgical masks are not made for preventing you from getting a virus. I think... Is it TMZ was making fun of some celebrity because they were wearing their mask upside down? <laughs> it wasn't even right. They didn't have it, it on. It right. work anyway. No, it doesn't matter. I Might was, as well look good. I was watching a report the other night. It said um, this is transferred from people coughing or sneezing or rub, rubbing their nose or their face and then touching other objects. So doorknobs, elevator buttons, things that you're touching. It's in you touch them and, you, and then you touch your face. Really, like they're saying, if you wash your hands and just don't touch your face. Wash your hands. Don't don't push the button on that elevator <laughs> and then rub your eyeballs and your nose and your mouth or go take your contacts out. <laughs> yeah, don't don't do that without washing your hands first. And it's not something that I mean, we touch our faces. You know, you brush your hair out of your face or you, you adjust your glasses, you touch your faces. It's not something that's easy to do, but that's how you prevent it. It's not, even if you were wearing a mask and you touched the diseased doorknob and then you rubbed, like you said, you rubbed your face. Oh, the mask is itching and you rub your chin, you scratch your chin or you, you adjust the mask. Well, plus, I mean, like I said, the other thing is like the mask don't lay flush with, the fa with your face. So, you know, an airborne 
virus can can get in the only thing the masks are really good at doing is preventing like physical like stuff from coming out of your mouth like and like getting on other people so i mean i guess there's some point to it but the fact that like everybody's rushing out to buy these masks and every and like there's price gouging on these masks and you know running out of the mask and the hand sanitizer and things like that it's you know it's a Even, lot of it's a lot of built, built on fear you know like gloves wouldn't work because you're still touching it with the glove and touching your face um the other thing is, i didn't see any of this on the report but it made me think about when they were saying the masks don't do you any good I think one doctor, even one person, I don't know if it's a doctor, a person on TV said that they could actually do more harm than good. And they didn't really explain that, but I thought about it. I was like, well, you know, when you wear that mask, you're breathing into it and everything kind of gets condensation. It's all hot and mm-hmm. kind of like in there. kind of like a pe- little Which petri would dish. For- <laughs> kind of be a breeding ground <laughs> yeah. for germs. So, yeah, the, no, don't don't wear a mask unless you're, unless you're sick. Or then you're already doomed or so you're put a luch- the mask on or you're a luchador oh okay then then you have to wear a mask so we're uh, what well, would you put they're gonna you, get sick if you had to put a percentage on wrestlemania going on without any complications what would you put in a no idea well they've only had two reported cases i think in mm-hmm. florida so far mm-hmm. so if that doesn't blow up i think you're good I don't think they're going to worry about it unless Florida or somebody in Florida decides, hey, we don't want all these billions of people coming here. Not that it's billions. Billions of people? Billions of people. This could be the biggest WrestleMania ever. Well, you know, all those marks, man, they just just flock (laughs) in. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) How many people go to WrestleMania? Uh, last year there was like uh, seventy thousand. Okay, I think. so they don't, the the mayor governor says we don't want these seventy thousand people coming to our city because somebody's bound to be. But sick. there's more than that that come just like for the weekend, like do other shows and stuff like that. So it's, yeah. I mean, yeah, and billions. go to like the conventions. And exactly, stuff. like I, don't I think said, it's billions. billions. But we'll have an intern look it up, and I'll be right. So <laughs> I got the flu last year at WrestleMania. Yeah, so. you ended up with the flu. So, but I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things. Like everybody was talking about at C2E2, convention crud. You go mm-hmm. to these big events, you come back sick. You just kind of know that's going to happen. This year, it might be the coronavirus that you bring back. Mm-hmm. You might need to keep in mind what you do when you're sick. But just even if you had the flu, you wouldn't want to go be around elderly people and babies or anything sure. like that. It's. I know it's not the same thing, but it's the same ideas. It's, it's not it's, the it's, same as the flu, but it's the yeah, same. It's not the same ideas. type of. It's not the same type of virus, but it is a virus. You have to follow the virus protocol. Pro- there you go, virus for, protocol. Let's let's know, make posters and laminate them. If everybody just wears hazmat suits, <laughs> I want to see eighty thousand hazmat suits at Raymond James Stadium in in Tampa, Florida. That's what I want to see. There you go. So. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say 99. percent 99. It goes on. It, I, I'm you're, gonna give it. I think you're a little high. I'm gonna give it a one percent chance that they would cancel it. I'm gonna say this. When is it? How many weeks do we have? I got about four weeks. Four weeks. I'm I'm going 99. percent I'm surprised that you wouldn't go that high. I'm gonna go because there's too many variables. 
There's too many variables. The, the one variable that doesn't they change could is, announce tomorrow that there's 50 people sick in that area, and it might cause panic. Yeah. Maybe especially with the media putting uh, fuel on the fire. Where is WrestleMania? Uh, it's in Tampa. Tampa. For some reason, I kept wanting to say Miami. Okay, so maybe there was something else in Tampa this weekend, and in five to seven days. Everyone comes down sick in that area and then transmits it to everybody else all this week. It could break. That's why it's a pandemic. That's why they break out really quick. I'm going to go 86%. Wow. So there's a 14% chance that WrestleMania is not happening this year. You heard it here first, folks. Man, I kind of hope it doesn't happen now. Just so like, (laughs) like you call it first. Like Rhino Wrestling Review with breaking news. Jessica Rhino like called it. WrestleMania. Plus then we wouldn't have to see Goldberg wrestle against Roman Reigns. <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna root for the coronavirus. I'm not gonna do it. Don't do it. I'm not gonna do it. Uh, I, I have conventions I would like to go to this summer, so I'd really like everybody to just chill we and not spread to, this around. We were talking about going to Tampa in, in uh July. Well, it'll be fine by then. Yeah, it'll all be burned out by then. Yeah. <laughs> Hulk Hogan will Everybody who's going to get it will have gotten the co- it. Coronavirus, he's down there dropping dropping leg drops and saying racist stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I need to go back up to Chicago at the end of June. Mm-hmm. So we need that not to get screwed up. And the fact that they've already canceled one show at McCormick Place is kind of... That is a little worrisome. Yeah. That is a little worrisome. I'm hoping... I'm hoping... You said it's going to get worse before it gets better. Let's just let's just hope and pray that it doesn't. Let's just hope and pray we get this figured out. Our our uh, overlord, President Trump's going <laughs> to come up with a vaccine tomorrow. Oh God! No, he threw a bunch of money at it. Well, he threw some money at it, and I think the rest of the government went. Um, no, we need to throw more money at this. So they threw a bunch of money at it. Yeah, like eight million dollars, billion dollars, million dollars. I don't know. Eight hundred bucks. Eight hundred dollars. Eight hundo. All right. Well, thanks for joining me on that uh, uh, the Rhino Health Review here. Oh, uh, Captain Insano. I think you're going to be fine. Jess is a little less optimistic, but if you're still a betting man, she still thinks. I'm still saying go. Eighty-six percent. That's you pretty good. You got a couple more weeks, another week, two, week or two to to feel it out. If so. you're shooting 86% from the free throw line, you'd be one of the better free throw shooters. If, so. if nothing happens between now and then, like every day it'll tick up a percent. Mm. If nothing happens. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the percentage could only it could go up. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm sticking at 99. So, Captain Insano, book, keep the hotel booking. Keep the rental car booking. Don't oh, yeah, keep it all booked. Don't sell your tickets, brother. You're going to WrestleMania. You heard it here on the Rhino Wrestling Review. You also heard that there's a 14% chance that it, <laughs> that it may not happen. Uh, we're going to save uh, the other emails for when uh, we've got an email about Impact Wrestling, got some e- emails about AEW. I want to save and, that. And I know for, nothing about those things. Well, so. And I want to save that for when uh, I'd, I'd be feel real bad if I did an Impact Wrestling one without Jason Calcibetta here because he's the only one that gives a shit about Impact Wrestling. Although I did go to my first. AEW show. You did go. So. You're, you're a mock, bro. 
You went to WrestleMania. You went to that New Japan Ring of Honor show at Madison Square Garden. In the worst arena ever. Madison Square Garden? No. The one in Chicago. (laughs) Oh, the Wind Trust? You don't like the Wind Trust. You didn't like it either. It was horrible. It's brand new. It's brand new, but the money grubbers who built it built it too small. Man, those seats are are tight. (laughs) It's a tight fit. It was awful. Uh, the uh, and then the vendors all ran out of food. <laughs> they ran out of food. They ran <laughs> out of t-shirts. <laughs> there was no pretzels. I could not get a soft pretzel. Couldn't get a pretzel to save your life. Middle of the show. Well, I didn't go like right before the end. Not even the middle of the show, was it? It was closer uh, to the you beginning. W- you went shopping. You were nice enough to go shopping for me and get me a t-shirt and a soda. During the women's match. It was during the women's match. That was everybody in line was commenting that, oh, everybody left because of the women's I'm match. I'm kind of wishing I would have gone line. with you because it was, <laughs> it was not great. Uh, it was definitely the come down match after the match of the night. So I want to thank you for letting me uh, watch the show while you picked up my t-shirt my sodi i got your t-shirt which they were not out of but i heard the lady explain to another guy that like yeah there's another there's another vendor but they're out stuff too same stuff i don't know what they were out of but crazy aew underestimates how popular they are and then the lady at the concession stand i was like i want two large so we don't have large cups i'm like Yes, you do. The lady down there does. <laughs> I don't have any here in front of me that I can just reach over and grab. Well, apparently you're going to make me show effort. To somebody get... found some more. They went to like a stock st- stock room or something and, and found some more large CVS cups down the street. And, but they didn't give them to everybody. Of course, <laughs> only the other side got cups, not not the side I was on. It was there was a lot of. Um, there was a lot of little nuances that I think they might need to work on at that at that arena. I liked the the look of it, the fact that it was there's really not a bad seat there because there was you know like a it was basically like a level and a half. There wasn't even like two full levels, so there was really wasn't like a bad seat there. But man, like the vestibule areas and the walkway areas were were teeny tiny. The lines for the concessions were super long. And it's just, it was very, The guy's very bathroom packed. line was super long, too. That's the ladies not good. were always making fun of, we're, we're making, we're all making fun of it because usually it's a girl's line mm-hmm. that takes forever and is really long. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have a problem at all. That's because there the was guys like six had of like, you there. They had like the, the, the post with the strip set up for like a queue line outside of the bathroom, <laughs> coming out the bathroom door that went down further than I could see. It was, it was you, it was Doug's wife. Uh-huh. And about the lady that next the two to me ladies that, that stole were wrestling. all the wristbands. <laughs> the, the the lady that took all the light up wristbands. Uh, the two she ladies that were wrestling in the ring, Brandy Rhodes. There was about ten ladies there, yeah. and five of them were AEW talent. Yeah. Well, the, there was the ones walking around in the gold jackets. That was yeah. With the work, posters working for AEW. Yeah. Well, there was one guy. I'm gonna get you one of those. Them. You're gonna be one of those gold jacket oh, girls next year. Please don't. It look good on you. God no. Those things uh, are hideous. Um, there's something else I was going to say about the venue. Oh, no, I was just going to make fun of They didn't have enough wristbands for everybody. Yeah. They own, But it was like no rhyme or reason. Like I thought maybe just the lower <laughs> section got wristbands. Nope. But not all of the lower section. The, the section opposite us didn't have any. And then the rando people who snuck down and stole wristbands and then went back up to the top and thought, nobody, nobody, will, nobody will notice yeah. this. I'm only flashing bright colors. Maybe. And there's only two of us up here that have wristbands and nobody else. Like, eh, no, we all know what you did. Yeah. 
<laughs> it was there was a few little things that uh, were a little that worked a little less than smooth, but I had I had a blast at the show. I thought it was I thought it was amazing. It was probably the best live wrestling show I'd ever seen, including probably the, the probably the best live tag match I'd ever seen. So I appreciate you you getting drug along with me and. Um, I would normally say my line here where, well, you bought me food, so I was fine, but there was no food for me to have. no pretzels. Not a soft pretzel to be had. I mean, I got a soda out of the deal, but I didn't get my soft pretzel. I'd have bought you a t-shirt that you would never wear. (laughs) I have so many wrestling t-shirts right now. You bought me so many wrestling t-shirts that I've never wear. And then I don't wear them because I wear yours. I wear, whenever we go to a wrestling thing, I wear the Rhino Wrestling Review shirts. So I don't wear the wrestling shirts you got me. Well, I appreciate the pretty girl wearing the the Rhino Wrestling Review shirt. It kind of draws in fans. Draws in. Yeah, they just look at my boobs. That's where the logo is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is meticulously placed. I think placed. you need to get me one that's a little lower cut. Uh, done. Okay. Done. Getting scissors out as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to do it for the Rhino Wrestling Review this week. We'll save those emails. We'll get it to them next week. Send them to us at rhinowrestlingreview at gmail.com. Follow us on uh, Twitter at rhino underscore wrestling. You can follow Jess on Twitter if you want to hear a bunch of book, book stuff. Book stuff, yeah. Woo. Book stuff Books. all the time. All day at Jess Rhino. I'm at Dan Rhino, and we are out of time. Don't kick out of each other's finishers. See ya. Bye. Hey, it's the R to the Y, N to the O. On a block like a tortoise with a slow. On a block like a baker, cause I'm picking up my dough. And when I'm in the booth, like I'm cooking up a O.